Hello, 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 hello. Welcome to the 17th episode of Where They At. My name is Nabate Isles, and it's always a pleasure to be able to talk to legendary figures in sports. But this week is different, but this man is still an icon and a legend in his field of music. This man is, has done so much when it comes to the music industry and revolutionized the sound of hip hop, revolutionized the sound of American music. He's leader. He is leader of one of the most influential groups in American music. And that group is called Public Enemy, P.E., Crafting unbelievable albums and his longevity has spanned 35 years as an artist, activist, producer, and entrepreneur. He's been torn with the Prophets of Rage, which is a group featuring Be Real from Cypress Hill and members of Rage Against the Machine. And he has a new album out with Enemy Radio, which is his group called Loud Is Not Enough. And it still is public enemy, basically a public enemy project for sure. And also, Public Enemy received the Grammy Lifetime Achievement Award this past January, which should have been happened for sure. It is my pleasure and honor. And he's a sports enthusiast too, which we're going to get into for sure, get into some basketball, football, whatever, wherever we go, for sure, go with the flow. It is my pleasure and honor to present one of the greats, Mr. Chuck Dangerous, Chuck D. How are you, sir? What's up, Bate? Uh, <laughs> it's a pleasure doing the show and also... Uh, if you see me actually diverting down from the screen, I'm doing some artwork. This is called ISO. Wow. Because uh, a lot of people are isolation. You see, like, this person got very few books, but a lot of screens going on. Mm-hmm. And um, just telling people don't be pinging and, and, and ringing me while we interviewing. All right. <laughs> good, good, good. Absolutely. But we can also edit, you know, if you got to take a call or something. Nah, man. <laughs> it ain't going to be like that, man. It's going to be natural, bro. All right. I appreciate you. And, and sir, I want to first say, I want to thank you for, for the support, the love, the energy that you put into my, in promoting my album, Eclectic yeah. Excursions. I mean, I re- the, you tweeted out uh, things about the album. You gave, gave me love. That is an honor, a legend like yourself, to be able to do that for my debut album. I, I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart, for real. Oh man, that's that's my service. My service and my joy comes in uh, seeing artists and musicians do their thing, and me trying to curate their movement. And wow. um, that's the biggest joy. I started out in radio. I thought I was the best uh, in in the talking about and playing hip hop rap radio with Mr. Bill and Dr. Dre out in Long Island. Yes. And then, um, of course, my unit, you know, we got Hank Shockley, Keith Shockley, Spectrum City, later on the Bomb Squad. Ooh. So our whole thing was just always look at a musician and propel them. And uh, that's so what I saw that your record would get, it, I was so happy that somebody understood that independent is, is a great way to go because it makes you understand yourself and your business environment and then when somebody comes to you, you know how to deal with them instead of, you know, like waving your hand for a deal. I mean, musicians should not get caught up in this shrapnel of, of business stopping their art. You yes. Know. Don't yes. have anything stop you, man. Keep going, man. Yes, sir. Uh, yeah. Matter of fact, I tell artists, once you get that album, then it's about building your catalog up, especially in this time of intellectual properties where... Uh, they, they're going to have so many movies and they're going on so many platforms and formats and films need, 
they need audio, they need music, and they can't do it all. And, yes. and uh, there's a whole bunch of streams that are wide open for musicians that's able to go and think outside of their skull. Yes, the, that's 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 real talk, real talk, and 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 that's and actually this year I'm I'm going to be recording. Well, I had to postpone it, uh, which is funny. I was I postponed it not because of the COVID um, yeah. situation, but it it's kind of funny how subconsciously that could have been it, you know, because I, I, yeah, so I'm, I'm recording in September, tentatively in September. We don't know what's going to happen with this bizarre and very uh, tragic, right. tragic occurrence that is, that has definitely struck all of us for sure. But we're going to talk about that, sir. But I want to, I want to go to your new album. You know, it came out on yes, April, sir. on April 1st called Loud Is Not Enough. Yeah. And it's with your group with you and Jaheef. I love Jaheef's yeah. flow, you know, yeah. definitely. Yeah. Jaheef's a beast. He's originally from Cleveland. I made him part of the Public Enemy Unit uh, 2008 as an opening MC. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in all enemy radio is just like a component inside Public Enemy. Mm-hmm. Um, you got uh, Jaheef. You have DJ Lord, who's been a DJ for Public since Enemy. 99. Since 99. Since 99. That's 20 years. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and uh, you know, the showcase with the S1Ws is Pop Diesel and James Bond, who also put out a spoken word album on my label, which is called the Spit Slam Record Label Group. Mm-hmm. So that's just a, a component. It doesn't have flavor in it. It doesn't have grip. It doesn't have a lot of other situations with Public Enemy, but it's almost like a component within. It's the, it's the, it's the political sound system. It just breaks it down to MC and DJ. That's all it is. Right, and for people to come along and be like, "Well, where's Public Enemy as a group?" It's like Public Enemy is a group like this. So, Enemy Ray is a group like this within the group. I mean, everybody there has been there since like you know, eighties and nineties. It's just that people don't pay attention to what they pay attention to. I think when we did the Bernie Sanders um, fundraiser. Mm-hmm. People were looking up there and they only saw me and they didn't see flavor, but but it was enemy radio. Right. And, and then think about it, and then and then they, they happened to put up a picture from nineteen eighty seven. So so many people they're locked in the they're locked into their world. Like, oh I haven't caught y'all since nineteen eighty nine. I'm like, oh, that's your problem. That, 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 exactly. <laughs> we got thirty three career thirty three year career, you waiting for us to pop up on the radio or pop up on BT and you're only gonna get that in and increments and um if you want to freeze us to an era where you was 30 years ago that's that's up to you but we've been moving that's right moving and growing for sure you know absolutely and and but we do yeah yeah and as artists that's 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 what we're supposed to do grow you know at the end of the day it's i'm pretty sure miles davis when he did bitches brew and when he first did you know birth of the cool i mean when he did birth of the cool later on two different, you know, we're still Miles Davis. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. Uh, if you wasn't up on top of what Miles was doing, then you're going to be like going back to your first initial romantic period. That's right. That's, and- that's, that's you and your, how you receive it. But when you do it, you're like, yo, man, do it and catch it if you can. Yeah, and what's crazy, like, for example, Birth of the Cool, like, early 50s, right? And then Sketches of Spain, Miles Ahead, and, and, and Porgy and Bess, and then ESP, Nefertiti, and then Bitches yeah. Brew in, in a silent... And then later on, later on, when he actually did work with, you know, Easy Moby, I mean, it's like... Exactly. Artists always evolve, and they move and change, you know? So fans, 
if they're going to call themselves that, if they're fanatical about your work, mm-hmm. they're going to catch you every year. That's for Those sure. Those who don't catch you every year, be like, well, I wasn't feeling that or I didn't know about it and all that. But right now, you, you got the gadgets, you're on the internet. You can look up everything right now, so it's no excuse. You just, it, just say that. Just say, you know what? I didn't know about that. I missed that. I was somewhere else. I was with somebody else. Cool. And I'm going to ask you about that later on, about our young brothers and sisters having access to all that information, but not using it. I'm going to ask you about that, because that's a discussion I want to have with you, for sure. Cause it's, yeah, it's, that would be a quick depression. one, because, because what we've seen, we've seen, um, especially with the COVID virus, we, and everybody being isolated, we've seen the final, I guess, the final pass into citizens turning into netizens, because they created cy- cyberspace. Oh, you said never, never sins, never sins. You said no, never sins. Medicine, not, okay. not a citizen, but you're a netizen. You're a Netizens. citizen of the internet. Mm. They created the internet as another world. At yes. first, people were like, ah, but they've already created that existence to even be as big as this world that we physically live in. Wow. They got rules, regulations. Sooner or later, you know, you you slip up on the internet. Your physical could actually go and be jailed for what you did mentally on the internet so or what you threatened on the internet we already see some of that so mm-hmm. netizens how many people are net literate a lot mm-hmm. of people got the internet on but can they actually comprehend and read the speed and all the misinformation coming through can they process it all so we we've, we've entered into a different realm entirely of um, of how you comprehend our surroundings and then you got a situation like covid affects your whole physical existence so you got people caught between both worlds. And now when they're isolated, now the total dependency is in this world that we also try to tell young people to keep a bit of yourself and stray away from the radiation of a radio, TV, movie, computer net nation. So it's all about trying to understand the speeds that are coming at you and navigate that and use your, your phone as a tool or your gadget, I should say, because it's not just a phone. Use your gadget as a tool, maybe more than a toy. Mm, deep, deep. Here on the 17th edition of Where They At with the great Chuck D. Uh, can I have a drink of my watermelon juice? I mean, it's not a commercial break, is it? <laughs> no, no, not at all. <laughs> For sure. What do you buy? Evolution, watermelon drink, cold press, watermelon, and lemon. Juice you, blend. You know what? I'm, I'm, I'm going to send that clip to them to make sure, you know, they <laughs> know that they're being advertised right now. <laughs> and, and I got to give a shout out to uh, C-Doc. You know, all the beats he did on yeah. the album, Loud Is Not Enough. I mean, woo, yeah. a lot he's, of- he's a wonder kind, man. He, he's the dude, man. Matter of fact, if you wanted to get a, a video shot in, in, you know, in Manhattan or whatever, he's, he's my label partner. But he really we started working together found each other online 20 years ago wow for years was a public enemy filmmaker um for like 15 years later i mean then he was doing productions but he became a full partner and a label partner so he really put his foot in he's to me i think when people talk about one man producers in the last 10 years they name people like lp from run the jewels yes indeed i think c doc is up there C-Doc is up there, man, with this, with this last display of unbelievable work. Absolutely. I mean, wow. And, and I'm biased, his... but I'm no. biased, but um, yo, man, uh, uh, 
he he's he's a spanking, you know, produ- producer. Absolutely, and his pocket and his feel, and it reminds me a lot of Wu, like that Wu feel. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, he has a lot of different influences. Um, mm-hmm. Influenced by all the cats, like I said, from a, from the from RZA to Premier to mm-hmm. your Bomb Squad, and you know, and then also uh, people like LP. So I mean, yeah, right. yeah. So that, I mean, he, he's full, and also incredible filmmaker and he could spit verses too so oh. yeah he, he knows how to put together something that a rapper should ride and then also Jahi is just amazing Jahi, oh. he's in his 16th year I think he's done 16 particular records and uh-huh. um, he's he's been like like one of my number one cats to write with perform with mm-hmm. and I brought him into the public enemy fold in 2008 as an introducing MC uh, and from there on, he's he's recorded albums for the Spit Slam record label group. Mm-hmm. Uh, accompanied me on um, on my solo records, and also yeah. now part of Enemy Radio. He ain't. I mean, we created uh, the album, and Food as a Machine Gun is probably to me. I think it's probably the most relevant, important record yes. of hip hop and rap music. Now, somebody could say whatever they want to say about it, but it's very much pointing. To a path that we're all kind of led down right now with the crisis is that aftermath of the crisis, the fallout of the crisis has us looking at these things that beleaguered us as black folks or, or, or folks black, brown, or, or, or definitely in the hood and, and poor, looking at these ailments like kind of metastasized with steroids. And a lot of times, I think the New generations, I should say, born after 2000s, especially, or those that crossed the millennial line growing up into it, mm-hmm. kind of like look to like the internet, social media, a giving a thorough explanation on everything. And it just won't be able to give a thorough explanation on anything more than a face-to-face conversation word for word feedback back and forth like we're doing right now it's never going to be replaced especially a tweet with the 280 characters is never going to give you a full explanation and comment boards ain't going to give you the same thing if you you looking at something and then typing it it's not going to give you the same feedback and thorough um examination of, of what you're looking at and how you can explain to some others what it is i'll give you a case in point Yesterday, I took a tweet down when I was like saying, well, everybody was coming at the uh, Surgeon General, Eric Adams. Oh, Jer- uh, Jerome? Jerome, Jerome Adams? Adams. Like- yeah, Jerome. Well, I said Eric yeah. Adams. I know I know Eric uh, Adams. It's it, it, it definitely not. <laughs> now, yeah, right. So they were coming at him like, yo, he was insensitive to us as a people. And I looked at the young man and said, yeah, but if you got two minutes to talk and, and we're in the middle of a war right now. So I just th- thought that some people were, were were hitting at him, saying he was just cooning and he was Uncle Tom and all that. You can't get things out when you're watching something that give you two minutes of what he said, and then that comes out, and then you respond with a text on Instagram, which is basically pictures, right? Mm-hmm. Or, or you're not really getting out a concise feedback on what it is. But what you got to do, you got to look at something and process it, no matter what it is. I, they don't trust anybody saying everything that you got to take in 100%. You got to look at it and say, you know, this dude, this young black guy is under the gun. 
And basically he's saying that we as black folks, we're beleaguered by these ailments. He's, he ain't got time to tell you where it come from and how it happened. Right. But he's like, you we are first to go when this stuff uh, uh, metastasizes and gets ex excavated all across the board. We're the first to go. Because yeah. we have a whole bunch of reasons of why we're beleaguered by why we're beleaguered in the United States of America and a few places abroad. We are under target. We're under all kinds of duress. But, yo, man, the, the transparency, the reality is real, man. It's like the diabetes, hypertension, the stress, all these things that come, come with the black neighborhood package Mm -hmm. We're beleaguered with even if we ain't got it, somebody next to us got it, our parent got it, you know, and so all these pressures, when there's a crisis that comes out, we the first to go. So and I think what he was trying to say in such a short period of time is like, yo, we got to just like straight out, cut out, cut back or cut out on some things because the way that things are leading to, we the first to go. So that, that was a serious thing, but you know, People kind of like didn't dig. They thought he was insensitive to the situation. And a lot of times the fact is insensitive. The facts ain't got no feelings, man. And um, True. True. a lot of us are in, you know, a lot of yeah. us are in the hospitals and catching it bad. Yes, disease could fall on everybody. But how, you know, Where's our defenses, man? Where, where's all the things that build us up? And you know, immunity, in, immune systems of mind, body, and soul. Yeah. And, uh, unfortunately, you know, okay, we know the body part and all that, but the mind is always on attack, it's being attacked. Oh, man. Oh, all oh, the strife, everything. Right? Like this every time you step out. Yeah. But this is why music, and you know, as a musician, it scrapes off a lot of that stuff that's coming at you. Just watching the news as a black person in the United States of America, already you like your soul been hammered because you don't know what the narrative is, is talking to you directly. So a lot of times we listen and watch kind of like with our own filters. Mm -hmm. At least that used to be the ability of somebody that was born in my era or maybe a little bit in the 70s. Mm -hmm. But do, do, do people have those processes? Do they have those abilities? if they were born after a certain time because it's a different era, oh, man. Absolutely. And there's a whole bunch of things that have been telling people, oh, we all equal, we all the same, we all cool, everything is great, you know what? And um, no, it's not the NBA. <laughs> yeah, and, and, Chuck, and Chuck, it's crazy too, because especially with our, our, with our young brothers and sisters now, it's like all the information you you had to search you and i had to search for information right. to get it you had to go to the books the encyclopedias yes. you had to go to the books the sources you know right. now there was no there was no truncation of what you had to learn now you could go to the page and say i ain't reading the whole page you could do that matter of fact like i ain't going i ain't going to the chapter but the fact of the matter is that most of it was in that chapter and you had to be able to read it thoroughly to know what should have been in that chapter. You yes. know what I'm saying? Yes. So it wasn't about reading the book. It's like you read the book, you comprehend the book, you absorb the book, and then you know what's ain't, what ain't in the book. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? That yep. was thorough reading and comprehension. That's right. And they strip those things, and you get to just get the headline, 
and then you go in your own jurisdiction without the fact of the matter. And then that goes into the public pool of a whole bunch of people swirling their opinions. Right. You could get, like they say, tossed and lost and forgotten, man, real quick, man, out there in, in cyberspace and That's with right. your opinions swirling around in it. So, so what sticks, what sticks a little bit more? People mm -hmm. used to call it hater, hateration. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, negativity, negativity, all those things, man, stick a little bit more because they're jarring and they get somebody's attention because it is so jarring and it ain't got to be dignified either. So, oh, deep. But it's the way it is. You got to figure out, okay, if it's a swamp, it's better to figure out how to swim with your head above the swamp than drown in it. So you got to figure out what that's what these times got. It ain't no clean water, man. That's right. That's right. And another thing too, what's what's crazy, Chuck, is the economic disparity. And I knew this this COVID um, disease was going to strike, especially our people that economically. You have you see the trains in New York City, how crowded they are because people have to go to work to yeah. be able to pay their bills and pay their rent. It's that this is this, and then the school system, like like Mayor De Blasio, the schools are closed now, yeah. like for the rest of the year. But why did it take so long for the New York City schools to close in the first place? You know what number, I mean? Number one, man, you busting your ass just to be able to get a job to work. So mm -hmm. that's number one. Mm -hmm. You like trying to do what you can just to get that job, to be able to work. And then you know you got to go to work. Yep. So the stresses that come in, this is why music is a beautiful thing because the music kind of like, but then if you get, if you, if you involved with music that's straight up making you feel inferior or effed up, or you ain't got music that's touching on vibrations, mm -hmm. that could add to your stress too. Yes, you know? yes, indeed. And the yeah, music. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, if the music is also like talking about, well, this is what I got and you ain't got it. So you go get it. But I don't know how you're going to go get it because I got it. And matter of fact, keep giving me money so I could keep getting it. After a while, when you've been slapped down to being inferior, man, that's another pressure. So you're not going to get no saving grace from the music either. So your mind, body and soul immune systems are all crumbling at the same time. Where, where's the buildup, man? And this is why we need to, the young people, everyone need to support our icons, our musical icons, our creative icons that, that express that for us to be able to get away and to influence us to create ourselves, you know? Well, Bate, I think that we've lost, a, a, we've lost, a, a, we've lost our timeline. <laughs> when you say young people, it's like, whenever I talk to younger people, I don't necessarily call them young people because they're not exactly younger than everybody. So we're, what, what's young people? You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. You got people that's 45 that feel like they, they think they're teenagers. They don't <laughs> really look at themselves. I tell them, well, you need, next time you think that you're young, you need to ask somebody 20 if you're young. Mm -hmm. But the next time somebody 20 tells me that they're young, I say, well, you need to ask somebody 10 years old, are you young? So I think we've lost our, our whole timeline and the passages also get lost in the source. So when we just say young people, sometimes for like people my age to talk to somebody 17, where's the middle body of people that talk to people a year, uh, 10 years down or five years down? Whenever you have a rite of passage, you guys like works on a, like, like steps on a ladder. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. You got steps on the ladder, so each one's supposed to teach one to step on down. It ain't supposed to be the gigantic gaps in teaching.
So um, I don't use young people a lot. I say younger people because there's a hell of a lot of younger people than I at 59 going on 60. So I got to also not say I ain't going to, I ain't going to put the burden on my shoulders. Like I'm going to have to say what I know to all y'all. I mean, I'm a musician. I write, I do the arts. So that's what I do. Mm-hmm. You want to learn something about that um, and pick up what I'm doing. I can't teach you, but I can help you explore yourself and what you're trying to do what I do. But I think also the rights of teaching passages have to be built back up so there's less of a gap between the ages. Because mm-hmm. there ain't no way in hell you're going to get somebody 15 years old that's going to listen to somebody 58 years old, maybe quicker than somebody 20. Mm-hmm. But if the 20-year-old think he's just as young as a 15-year-old, you, yo, man, you got, you got a haze right between there, man. I, I, when I was 20 years old and my guys were 20 years old, we always saw uh, opportunities to teach somebody three to five years younger than us. We took, it, we took them under our wing in what we did. That's what hip hop is about. Assume, That's what the game. Right, and we still assume that we we still assume that seniority. And if a person don't know what I'm talking about, they understand. They just trying to not. They just ain't been addressed in the same way. If you have a younger brother or sister, you 18 years old, and your mother say, "Well, you just got your first year of college, or you got your first year of working, or whatever. You trying to go to the club or to get down or whatever." If they told you to take your younger brother or sister at 14 years old, the first thing you gonna start saying to your parent, you're going to start talking about your seniority. Like, yo, why should I have to take, they earned what I just went through in the last three to four years. I'm 18, mom. I will, I'll, I'll need to take, yo, know, if they say, yo, take your little brother and sister with you to the party. You'd be like, nah, I'm trying to, you know? So that's why I throw back on younger people when they try to think that they, yo, man, I'm, I'm young, I don't know that. I say, yeah, you younger than many, and you older than a lot. So what's, <laughs> what you going to do? Yes, yes, well, exactly. But, but these are the basics that, that generations before me had that could get lost in, into cyberspace. Can you, teach it? Can you teach this through a gadget? Probably not. Can you teach these, these, these uh, values and ethics through social media? Probably not. You probably have to hint at it, but you still got to have actual interaction. Well, here with Chuck D on the 17th edition of Where They At. Now, Chuck, you mentioned Flavor Flav. I got to ask you, what is going on? Because you stated like a couple weeks ago saying that his firing, quote unquote, you know, it was like the Austin Wells War of the World strategy, which, you know, that's one of my favorite uh, audio uh, audio uh, uh, pieces to listen to, but mm-hmm. and then you mentioned, you know, then then Flavor responded saying, you know, he was kind of opposite to that a little bit. What you were now? What's we get, yeah, like what's going? I gotta get, I gotta get going. You're gonna, your brothers, you're gonna get it. You're like, gonna so get it. In, yeah, but you know what? You'll get this in sixty seconds. There's a lot of people in the group. People look at Flavor like it's me and Flavor. They don't ever look at anybody else. Mm-hmm. All I'd be trying to tell them said, bro. Be productive, be productive, not productive. And I had to tell them straight up when I said, listen, don't go to your lawyer because people got their lawyers and their business thing. I think a couple of times with management that he had, he went to his lawyers and they put cease and desist on records that everybody worked on. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And I said, look, look, man, it's us. You don't have to go to your lawyers to actually sue people and sue us or whatever. I said, so I pretty much told him last year, I said, one more time you go to your lawyer and sue me publicly, I'm going to embarrass you. That's what the firing thing also was about. Like, I'm going to embarrass you, bro. If you embarrass me with that, taking your lawyer to, to do a cease and desist on something that we do, fine. The enemy radio was a component that he knew out of public enemy for the longest time because, dude, I, it was offered to him while I was doing profit to raise. He didn't want to do it. Um, Public Enemy many times would do benefits and do political, or offer to do political things. He didn't, he didn't want to do it. And that was fine. It's like, okay, if you don't want to do it, I can't tell an organization like Sankofa, like Harry Belafonte's company, I can't tell them that Public Enemy is going to do it. So that's how we created Enemy Radio as this component with them. But um, yeah, when that came out, I was like, your lawyer put a cease and desist on something that you wasn't going to do anyway. I'm gonna embarrass you. And the next day I said, listen, bro, this is, I, I saw War of the Worlds and then we could play it out this way and end it on April 1st. He wanted to go further than April 1st. Dude wanted to go to like Coachella when we, and come out as a surprise on DJ Lord's set. Ah, until, think, uh, but then Coachella got canceled. Right. So then I was like, well, April 1st. Because of this COVID, this COVID could, thing, yeah. Right, and we could take over April 1st. Now, when we first planned it, COVID wasn't even a factor. Mm -hmm. Right, right, right. So. So the thing he did on April 1st was, in his mind, trying to pull a hoax on the hoax, but he don't know no timing. He just killed the timing and the vibe, and he trying to, I, the thing is, I told him, I said, just shut the fuck up and be productive. Come up with these records so we release the PE album in June after the Enemy Radio album. He went back to his lawyer, and his lawyer put out something the next day. Once again, it's like, dude, man, tell your lawyer to sit the hell on down and follow the protocol. Get productive. So everybody's caught up in the mystery of all the, all, I understand because they ain't got nothing to do with anything. The only thing that, the, the only thing that this thing got to be is, do we come out and be productive? Do we get down and on stage? And is he being productive and doing his damn job? I'm not in TV. I don't do TV shows. I don't do all that other stuff. It's like together, it's public enemy. Are you getting down or, or are you going around doing old records from 30 years ago, relying on 30 years ago thing? I don't do that either. Yeah. So I'm like, bro. Do the work. And I think, you know, he's in the studio now. But he, yeah. I told him in March, I said, you got to be in the studio. You can't, you cannot not work and expect everybody that works to actually enjoy you. There's a long line of people that's like, they do the work. And I'm saying, dude, you got to do the work. So if anybody doesn't understand, they're like, oh man, we need to see you and play together and all that. Yo, man. I tell people, I said, the next time you're at your job and your coworker do supposed to do 10% and you do 90% and he don't come up with the 10%, but also get 50% of your money, I'm gonna see you look right at your face and stare at you and watch you say something like, well, you know who you're working with, right? Well, you know who I'm working with. <laughs> I just want him to be productive because it works for him that he comes up with 10% up to work. Wow. Well, 10% of the work, bro. No, no, this, no, no, this, no, this time, this time around, I'm asking for 20% of the work and tell your lawyer, man, that, that, that don't put my name out there again. So that's, that's mm -hmm. what the firing initially was about. But I had just seen Lawson and Wells. I said, this is how we can fix that. All you had to do, bro, is just shut the fuck up. 
excuse my language, uh, of, on April 1st. And Steve, the way you the way you answer that is with production. Yeah, and, and, and just and he's he, in the he studio saying about leadership, questioning leadership on the tweet. I'm like, Serious, seriously, Bate, does that sound like him? <laughs> does that sound like him, man? <laughs> I'm saying to everybody, whoever thinks that they know, they don't know him. I'm the one that know him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He was his lawyer, man. I'm so pissed off at his lawyer. I said, I said uh, bro. Now he might have been telling his lawyer to, to do that, but I was like, tell his lawyer, I said, you want your client to be in the best possible productive position to, to, to behoove the situation. Right. Don't, don't do that. So yeah, and in the whole month of March, me and Flavor talking every other day, and I'm pressing him. He's supposed to be in the studio, coming up with these five tracks, and, five. And with his, I'm on, him, I'm on his ass every day, Bate. I'm like, <laughs> dude, he gets me two tracks. I turn it around in 24 hours. Like, where's the other three? <laughs> and that's the thing. And, and, and Chuck. People don't know the talent this man has. Plays multiple instruments. I mean, his per- he has perfect pitch too. Am I right? Perfect pitch. I don't know about uh, none of that. Uh, right, <laughs> plays, but, but look, you a musician. Yeah, mm-hmm. He could touch an instrument and make you Ooh. be like, "Whoa, okay, that's good." Yeah, yeah. But I get on him on his work ethic. I said, because you're naturally talented, you got to turn the talent into skill. I mean, I. Work, dude. Wow. Work. And if and you if you're a coworker, you got to have W O R K in your in your thing. And 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 yeah, I know. I I, I just hope he's in the studio now. And I said, listen, you have to deliver. And that's what the whole march was about. Mm-hmm. Deliver, man. And when they hear from you next, they got you got your delivery. You know, you can make a horse go to some water but you can't make them drink and you got to save them from drowning if they don't know how to drink. So I, that's all I asked for him. I was like, be productive. I mean, it's eight years since he's been productive. So I just said, bro, it's like, you can't fame your way through this. When you see a gig, a gig is the gift. Yes. Gig ain't the work. Mm-hmm. It's easy for you to work on stage. And somebody might say, oh, I ain't trying to hear all that. I'm just trying to hear the records that I heard 30 years ago. Yeah, you part of the fanatic. You ain't you ain't the fanatics that's been following us every year. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. what made Public Enemy travel around the world every year. The world is bigger than the United States, and we are seriously around the world. But I'm like, you got to give the world something every year, every two years. You cannot rest upon your laurels from back in the 80s and the 90s and say that's going to be the reason why people checking you out. You know, right. the United States is, is one place out of 115 other places we've been to. Mm. I mean, I played in front of 4 million people in Profits of Rage the last four years and we closed that down because Rage Against the Machine had reformed. Yeah. And then Be Real had Cypress Hill. It was yeah. easy for me and Laura to do Public Enemy, but we could have did Public Enemy at the same time. I just kept waiting for flavor. Like, come on, man, deliver, bro. What's up? But he was under a different situation. And, and uh, 2019, he climbed out of 2019, you know, in one piece that, that well, I was able to, here's your plan for 2020, bro. But you know, all this stuff has happened. So it gives him actually more time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Everybody home. So 
Do your job, bro. If it's broke, I'll even help you fix it, but you got to give something. Wow. So I mean, I mean, how could I how could I give that? I'm, I'm only I'm only telling you. I think I'll tell a few others as it rolls out, but all that stuff that the average person don't want to hear nothing about. Mm. Average average person don't want to hear about, oh man, so you couldn't get flavor into the studio that actually do on this song and all that. But it's when you hear things come out, it's not because of one person, it's because it's a team. Can't burn your team. That's right. That's right. There's a, there's a team of people. When I was up there doing the uh, Bernie Sanders thing, there was five people on the stage with me that people didn't see. I'm like, they're right there. Oh, you don't recognize them, so because so they don't, they don't, they ain't official because they don't lock in your mind. Mm-hmm. You, 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 a result of what I told you who these people were in the first place. Every single member, I made sure in my business that I would push them into the mainstream faction of identification we were a group we're a group so you know you're going to know the first two yep chuck d then flavor Flav. Flav, yes but then terminator griff s1w's and then naming s1w's and later on i mean lord mm-hmm. jahi all these people were introduced in the public man over the last 30 years very clearly very you know like out now where your radar is, it's had nothing to do with me. So nice. yeah, obviously they're going to be upset like, oh, well, where's Flay? Because I, I remember when they were in 1991, when I saw them on Soul, and then you got clips on Soul Train. So you got YouTube <laughs> all in the mix and all that. I'm like, but life and the world still turns and it moves on. So right, I'm and- pretty sure he's, he's trying to, right now, when you heard when I, everything was cool on the first, he's trying to out-hoax the hoax. But he don't know the timing, man. <laughs> so I'm, I'm saying like whatever so I'm not even answering that I'm just like hopefully bro just come up with come up with them five joints that's all I'm asking you to come up with them five joints wow. show show the world that you can get down man you can't talk about getting down man you gotta get down that's right or lay down you know <laughs> get out of the way man like, and you know what and it ain't it ain't up to somebody liking it mm-hmm. it's up to you doing it man I, like me I'm like Man, whether you like whatever I record or not, it's still gonna go through you. If you you better run, get out the way or something, because it's gonna come hard, it's gonna come through you. Now you might not like it, but it's gonna be hard and it's gonna be right. That's right. Well, that's, and honest. Well, that's what loud is not enough of is about. I'm gonna get a recording and you can run from it. You can be like, I don't like it. It ain't meant for you to like anyway. It's meant to be done. We it's not it ain't it ain't acceptable. I'm never gonna record something that's fully acceptable anyway. So I'm just asking for Flavor to put up his part. When we recorded Food as a Machine Gun, um, it was a step into setting up the Public Enemy record. Flavor is on it, and it's mm-hmm. talking about this, the inevitability that this aftermath and fallout of this diabolical virus is, is leading us right into by default that we got to yes. avoid, man. Yes. I mean, there's already, you know, like, terrorism it could be in your refrigerator man just a selection of bad foods and uh we've already had mcs that have spoken large to this m1 of dead prez yep and, and uh dj caven from colorado supernova uh sloan from um from um new jersey new york area mm-hmm. but they've always been talking about nutrition you know um griff has always been a proponent of that so this kind of attacks where it comes from. It attacks the source. 
maybe attacks, you know, that, 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 that element in your brain that makes you say that sugar and salt is something that I'm going to have a romance with and not have no, <laughs> and not have no long-term effects after about 40 or 50 years. We lost some incredible, great people the last 10 years as they crossed over into their 40s from these these ailments that that are besieging us as a community so yeah and Chuck, food as a machine gun attacks it back you know that's real and 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 and, and i want to take you back to roosevelt long yep. island you know you and flavor met back then and everything and and how like um as an artist and you're a visual artist too you end up going to college you know to adelphi for 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 art you know, for visual, for graphic design, you know? Yeah. So how did your visual mindset really help you in writing your lyrics as well as video concepts? And how did Flavor and you guys really be able to mesh musically? So, you know, for you guys to have such a relationship, even to this day, you still have that, that, that synergy. Well, I grew up as a proponent of the visual arts and my mom's and my dad allowed me to be independently into the arts. So I was raised with the arts. I came up in the 60s, was a high art period. I learned from the best teachers like Frank Frazier, who's down in Dallas. Um, being able to go toe to toe and understand what the arts are. I, and, you know, um, draftmen and design and, and every school I touched, I was the best. Went, went to Delphi University for graphic design and, and um, illustration mm -hmm. and um, left there with, you know, high marks. So I wanted to go in the music business to really help start the first hip hop graphic design departments. I didn't, but I, I was I was a great uh, co-contributor to the beginnings of that department with Def Jam, which is the drawing board, Say Adams. Stephen Carr, and uh, they started that, and I was a, you know, we all kind of like, although I had, I was separate from them, but we all exchanged ideas, and they went to great heights as being the first official art department of hip hop and rap music, and uh, mm -hmm. I felt part of that. So uh, everything I learned in the arts was to see things, you know, visually, and map them out. I first went to Hank Shockley and told them that I do flyers <laughs> mm -hmm. and I did all these things visually I could add to his empire. And he didn't know I was an MC. <laughs> I oh, wasn't wow. an MC. <laughs> I, didn't, I wasn't an MC really, but he heard me on the mic and said, that's an MC. Yes. And then, and then um, that's how that relationship started. But I tell you, a lot of the, the, the Public Enemy Foundation visual effects, especially in film, video, and stuff like that, um, Hank has a vision. He might not be an artist by his hands. He don't make music. He doesn't make art with his hands, but he, he's a vis visual conceptualist, you know? Yes. Futurist. So uh, me, I'm the person that, that I can process, see a, a little bit of a vision and make you see it for real. So that's where my art background, and my art understanding comes from. I mean. Art is artificial. Art's short for artificial. It's, it's a facsimile of real life. It's 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 real, but it's not. So mm. it's a, every, whatever you could capture and freeze the moment and deliver it and a cultural exchange. I mean, it's the thing that brings us together for our human being, human being itness, 
and sep you know separates the dif uh, differences. So yes. art brings us together and our similarities and knocks a, a, you know aside the differences, and that's what culture you know uh, allows that surfboard for that to happen. And the logo, so the logo that that was Hank Shockley in your creation, pretty much, right? Like that logo, that logo is like it stands the test of time. Yeah, actually, we we, we used to make logos for other groups that didn't have logos because I was jealous of the rock guys. I still am to this day. <laughs> jealous of all the rock guys because they got it figured out. Mm. And um, when we started Public Enemy, uh, it was a simple thing of putting that logo with Public Enemy. I did a, a demo for WBAU called Public Enemy Number One. So Hank, quite simply, when we were looking at a name, I wanted to keep loyal to our DJ unit. So Hank said, just call it Public Enemy. And, that's, and then we start putting the meanings and all the other stuff to it from that point on. And which is the same process where I do a song. I write from a title. Yeah. So if you name something, you can feel it for what yes. it is. Uh, no meandering freestyles here when you're trying to figure out where you end up. Nah, not, not here. Right, true that. Wow, here in the 17th edition of Where They At with the great Chuck D, uh, artist, activist, producer, entrepreneur, uh, renaissance man for sure. And, and Chuck now- I, I, I shortened that into raptivist years ago. Ah, uh, that's, that's right. Raptivist. Raptivist, yeah. yes. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, now- I'm never gonna run for no office. People kind of get twisted. Oh, yo, we need you, dog. We need, I'm like, I know where I'm, I know what my lanes are. Mm -hmm. And I ain't, gonna, I ain't gonna run for something I am not feeling. I'm not that dude. I mean, there's yeah. so many people that want to be able to be in public office, but they put them up on this, like this, like this, this sort of like celebrity pageant, beauty pageant type of thing, where it's so cavemanish to say that this person is gonna get the position because more people voted for this person. So that's just like when more don't always mean better, man. Right, right. I no, mean, that's, when, that's when right. do we start getting it's to quality. The, quality, quality. the quality as opposed to quantity? Mm -hmm. So even the voting thing is just like, well, more people voted for this asshole. <laughs> <laughs> Therefore, we got to get in the asshole line. <laughs> that will never ever, it's like, yo, man, what's the qualifications that this person will? And you got so many people qualified to run a situation, but they'll never get the shot because they're on some, you know, pimp beauty pageant type of thing that's good that allows them to get maybe get they got money that actually funds their campaign. It's it's like remind me of the old record business. It's like your record can't get heard unless you that pay payola. money to all these people. That yeah. Payola. So they just this this politic older thing, man, is crazy. Yeah. And, 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 and speaking of the record business and the record industry, Def Jam was starting, it was fledgling with Rick Rubin, Russell Simmons, how did you meet them too? And, and, and you, Public Enemy yourself, you had a lot to do with Def Jam's progression into the greatest hip hop label ever. We was after the fact though, because I tell you, it wouldn't have been possible if it wasn't for Bill Stephanie. Yes, Bill, how's he Arthur. doing? How's he doing? Bill's great, Bill's okay. great. Yeah. Bill's always making things happen, connecting the dots. Bill Stephanie and also Andre Brown, Dr. Mm -hmm. Dre. The yeah. MTV Dr. Dre. Yeah, right? right, right. How's he doing? He's he's getting he's better. Fine. His he, is, yes, yes. Okay. He reversed his diabetes. Excellent. And now he is a connoisseur. You would probably get Dre on on your show too. Connoisseur of of wellness now. <laughs> <laughs> 
Wow. I mean, you have to be a connoisseur of wellness to reverse what what he was, you know, taking his whole body and soul and mind down. So he's a person that really, I mean, he'll tell you that, you know, you need to look at your rice differently. So, so anyway, our whole relationship with Def Jam wouldn't have been possible. These guys kept dealing with Def Jam. Bill was the first, I guess, executive at Def Jam besides, I mean, underneath Russell and Rick's ownership. And Dre was like, kind of like one, you know, after the Beastie Boys, and understand this, Dre was the DJ for the Beastie Boys in 1986. That's right. On the Razor Hell Tour. Yes, yes. And, you know, factions of our operation would tell, oh, Dre, why you keep going down the dance interior, hanging out with, with Rick Rubin and Russell and all the, those Rush dudes, man, you're going to get jerked and all. And Dre had a record deal with Rick well before Public Enemy did. Although Rick was like pursuing me based on that relationship. Um, and we were interwoven with all the guys because we had WBAU. So from Ron and DMC and Jay especially, and uh, the BC boys, they kept wanting to lure us into that operation. Um, Davey D was also the bass player with Public Enemies Band Unit. And then... Um, uh, yeah, Dre did original concept, mm-hmm. and with the two singles he released in 1985, "Can You Feel It," and also "Pump That Bass" in 1986, yep. what knowledge me with being the the song that we always used to do that talk up at WBAU. "Pump That Bass" is the first record that kind of helped invent Miami bass, which later on become trap music. Yep, stay eight away kick. Yeah, it was like two two live first, and then now yep. Trick Daddy and then yep. all Trina yep. and all. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and I am. We remember when Dre showed Rick the the eight away sustain, and he first heard that record um, on Together Forever, the B side or Run DMC. Dre shows Rick that boom, 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 boom. You know. That that stuff that that southern MCs just can't get away from. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's right. You know they can't well, get away from it, man. It's like they'll never ever stop that. You know, later on you had guys like uh, the Showboys when they did Trigger Man. That became like an anthem in the mid south. Mm-hmm. Those guys from Queens, and then you had like you know, uh, you know, you had Paul Revere based off all this type of music that yeah. was going on in Queens that Dre introduced them with his uses of the, um, with the Roland. So yeah, these are histories that people don't know, but that, that, that's before Public Enemy. Mm. And so they laid the groundwork for PE to go in and we knew, we were reluctant. Myself and Hank were reluctant to go to, 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 to Def Jam and Rush and all of that. We thought we could do something better. Mm. Mm-hmm. And that's why when you see me sign that, that record contract, I called it the Great Surrender. Cause like we just surrendered, we said, it's better to join them than to try to beat them. Ooh, and, and that's what I want to talk to you about in joining them. Like, PE had a message, and that message uh-huh. still is relevant today. And it's a message that came from even before with Malcolm and, and even before with Frederick Douglass and, right. and, and after Frederick Douglass, Marcus Garvey and all, right. all the cats, you know, that message, you know, that that – did you have to polish and tailor it or were you able to have full autonomy to express yourselves within that umbrella of Def Jam? Yeah, in order for Rick to get me, he had to take what we had and he was like, cool. 
But he said, cool. And we also had Bill there. So Bill was executive in there. So Bill had to get this ultimatum from Rick that says, get Chuck by any means necessary. Uh, but I wasn't coming without my crew. That's right. But I'm bringing Hank right through the door. So obviously, and then when it came down to flavor, it's like, well, what is he? He ain't rapper. He ain't a rapper. And I said, yeah, but I, you know, I, I want him with me because he can actually open a song up and close a song out. And brought out and the hype man. Longer. What the hype yeah, man yeah, is yeah, 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 right. <laughs> Not that I need it to be good. I'm, a, I'm good. Right, right. This, this is this is so we can do this to be different. Yeah, and dialogue, having a dialogue between right. y'all. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. Right, right, right. I don't, I don't, I don't agree on the stuff. So, of course, Rick is like, you could do better without him. I'm like, ah, I don't want to do better. I said, I want to bring my team through. And um, but he had to, he had to, you know, and he got an offer he couldn't refuse. Mm -hmm. I just didn't do the same thing when it came down to contractual agreements. I was like, oh, I want this and all that. But we got what we asked for at that particular time. And we, it was new that we were going to plant the seed for other things. So, um, yeah, we came in there. Yo, Bum Rush's show is exactly what it is. It's like we came and got a foothold, a toehold through the door. Right. And we all came rushing in. Hank went in as a producer. Dre came in as a head of TV. Mm -hmm. uh, Harry Allen went in as first journalist. Bill Stephanie as an exec. So we all came through the door with different, you know, disbursements in the music industry. Wow. So that's what Yo Bummer's show was about. That we didn't come in. I mean, I mean, at the essence, I was the rapper and Terminate X was the DJ. So if you want to borrow that, he's the DJ, I'm the rapper. That's basically two people. But yeah. we branched it out into so many different dimensions that people couldn't put their finger on what exactly Public Enemy was. They still can't. So they kind of boil it down and they finally understand that there is a flavor. They could never say what flavor was before. They couldn't call him a rapper. So they mm -hmm. said he's a, he's a hype man. So they, but they didn't know what a hype man was before that. Ah. So we had to introduce that position and he created that role. You know, I mean, depth in and one of them. So what? he created that role. We, I mean, we created that role for him to do because I mean, I, I mean, it really started from doing the first records. I, we would move furniture and I was like, dude, I want you to come in the studio, which was cassette decks, right? That's right. <laughs> and they're coming come back. On the Audio cassettes are coming back. <laughs> right. Come on the beginning of the song. And when I finish rhyming, you take it on out. Do it like James Brown and Bobby Bird. And that's how that started. Wow. And, 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 and then Flavor, also the fact that he could play multiple instruments, you know, that, that added to it as well, to the production. Yeah, down the line. Yeah. Down the line. I think his musicianship really started to show a, a bum rush the show. I mean, no, not bum rush the show. Um, Rebel takes without a pause. Oh, okay, yeah. Takes we make Rebel without a pause, and he doesn't. He doesn't. We're not playing instruments, but he was his timing on the Clyde Stubblefield snare hits was key to making that record because it wasn't like computer. It was Flavor's timing hitting the Kai. Yeah, yeah. So Flavor hit the Kai with his timing, which was very special because it was like almost the timing of a drummer who sometimes is on it and sometimes it's to the left or to the right, but you can't really tell, so it's all feel. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Wow. And, and, and now, and also production crew, the bomb squad. I mean, pretty much when Cube left NWA, that sound was what made Cube's America's most wanted, you know, basically, you know, and, and, yeah. and the, the, talk the, about the bomb Eric, squad, the revolutionary, uh, iconic sound y'all created. Well, it was, a, it was the clash between records and musicians and also hip hop. I'm the dude that in the back of my car, man, I got a busted speaker, so I like the sound. Hank would get in my car and be like, dude, everything you play is distorted. I said, I like the distorted loud shit. Sorry, bro. Hank is the, he's the dude with the, with the ears. Vision, but also ears, where he can hear. Dude can hear. So you have to have that person to be able to process every, all this into a mix. <laughs> Right? Mix. Only thing that matters is that at the end of the day, what does it sound like Ray Charles used to say? You gotta have a mix. <laughs> what does Eric, it sound like? What does it sound like? Exactly. <laughs> Eric, Eric Sadler, Vietnam, right? I called him Vietnam because he used to wear those, those, those glasses that used to be like in Vietnam and all those apocalyptic movies and all that. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And he used to wear green like army jacket. So I call him Vietnam. Yeah. He's a musician. So you got musician theory, Versus record theory. Think about, and then you have Keith Shockley, who's, who's who is at that time not only the DJ, but Hank and Keith as DJs, they had a different way about going about music with different musics, funks, funk music, but also when we were DJs, Hank and Keith, because they're also turntable technologists. We, we used to get down, or cats would get down with the 1200s or whatever they called them. Mm-hmm. Hank and Keith had the digital turntables. So wow. we would do beat, beat per minute mixes, they would do, down to the digital. I'm like, I, I never seen these, these Panasonics anywhere else. So they were key for blending and mixes. And, they were, and so beat per minutes were everything in the area of production. So a lot of times, you could do a beat per minute on something on a blend and you kind of go out of key, but mm-hmm. it works. So this is the conversation between Hank and Eric that went into a store. And in my sense of distortion, what, what turns me on, then you got Keith who helped would do like some of the underlaying percussions that make you feel it. I mean, you know, and then you got people like Griff, who's a percussionist. Like right. Griff would play, Griff used to play a lot of play the timbales. Yes, that's, that's uh, the Latin percussion. Right, right. I remember seeing the album credits. He would always be on the congas and the dabales. Yep. And flavor. So, every, you know, we come from a time where most people knew how to play something. Right. Which people isn't the case stuff. now with most. Chuck, Chuck, what can you play? I said, I can't even play state lottery. But <laughs> my vision in art is what I brought to the table and also the vision and, of making lyrics. Uh, oh. making a word. Make a, but, but I looked at words as the same way as art, that one word could take on a presence that goes like, I mean, my father would say one word and you got a paragraph out of that one word. And if you, ain't, if you wasn't trying to feel that one word, you don't know what you better, you better know what he meant. So maybe it came from that, but all these things together made something that we considered the bomb squad because it was a, it was a assembly production line inside Def Jam assembly production line. No different than Holland Dozier Holland was to uh, 
Motown. Yes, right. Yeah. right. So, yeah, so that, that was a beautiful period. Or even taking um, it before that, even Billy Strayhorn with Duke Ellington. Yeah, and you know, even before indeed. that, you know, indeed. yeah. So, yeah, so that, that was a beautiful period. Um, wow. At the Bomb Squad, I, at my job was, if I'm going to map out the lyrics and the title of what this song is meaning from, then I know that also as a musicologist, I'm going to find out what other things exist in the music that can line up with the lyrics I'm writing. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So I'm going to bring a sample, but I'm going to bring a vocal sample to the table that will also might have something attached to it. At the end of the day, man, it was a team that was inherent upon at the, you know, what is this thing going to end up sounding like? And I felt that when Eric had moved on, I think that was about 1990 after, after, um, Fear of a Black Planet. After Fear of a Black Planet, and Ameri- America's Most Wanted came up after Fear of a Black Planet. And the production team was Max, because I think Hank and Eric did Belle Biv DeVoe. That's right. Fear of a Black Black Planet and America's Most Wanted. Then I went on tour. By the time I came back, you know, you know, uh, Eric was gone. Bomb Squad was over. So, and we had some years after that with Gary D. Wiz. But I think it was really the end of the team production and just back into like, uh, now, now I'm over the last 25 years. You have the one man producer. Yeah, <laughs> which I've never, I've never ever felt the one man producer, man. I mean, I, me, I'm a songwriter, so I could work. I have to work with somebody. So I guess that makes two people. Yeah. But I always dealt, felt that four people is better than two, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. two people are better than one. Just because a guy makes the music, does that make them a producer? I don't know about that. The vocal arranger is as much as production as the as the person's making the music. And at the end of the day, what you have, you have lyrics and you have music. That's how your copyrights run. That's right. And it's the job of the producer. Well, well really, it's not even the job of the producer there. Your lyrics and copyright is what constitutes a song. So it's a song. But to to create a song into a record or recording, a final product, you need a producer. And that's pretty much always thrown on the guy that got the studio's responsibility. So the one-man producer is also the engineer, also the the studio, also the music maker. And I think that that has made hip-hop and rap music kind of like not ascend to a lot of different artistic areas like we had it or at the turn of the 90s. Wow. It became, that... a one man, it became a one man thing. So if you hear one person playing the keys, one person kind of finding the drums. And, and the thing about it, sampling allows the one man producer to have help. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't sound like him. Cause you're taking that magic of the moment. Mm-hmm. And that mm-hmm. magic of the moment could be James Jameson and it could be Yusuf Latif. You taking a snit, it might be one second, and I don't think that's plagiarism, but you're taking one second mm-hmm. and you're arranging these sounds into being the ultimate band because you're mm-hmm. taking magic and you're taking magic of people that put it down as opposed to when you hear a person play the drums and they might, all right, now, now give me a, a Stubberfield. Now give me an Elvin Jones. And they might mimic it, but you kind of know that, yeah, but it ain't 
Elvin Jones. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. But on a record, you hear Elvin Jones. For some reason, you hear Elvin Jones if it's Elvin Jones. Yes. If yep. you actually place it somewhere else. So I think there's a there's a soul aspect of, of that alchemy that produces a help. One man produces a helped out when they sample. When they don't sample, then you just hear them for what it's worth. And that necessarily doesn't work in hip hop. It's always got to be help from from the gods. And mm. uh, and I've always helped. I mean, pe- people hear that when they're fans and stuff like that. But I always think that, you know, four focus heads are better than two. Two focus heads are better than one. Yeah. And when I go, I go and I'm approached by people like, okay, so-and-so got this beat. It's like, okay. But I kind of look at it it's like, okay, I'm going to probably arrange this guy. I'm going to arrange them. I'm going to structure it. And then I'm going to leave it back. It's still a two-person collaboration in there. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, I, these are some of the things that we did at the 90s that made musicians, old-school jazz heads and funk heads and blues heads look at our thing and say, well, they, well, I don't really like hip-hop, but whatever they doing, they got something going on in there that says it's music. Right. You know what That's I'm saying? Right. And, and yeah. it's... And especially what PE represented with the message and and Chuck, I know you have horror stories of the I'm sure death threats. I'm sure the government coming at you. I'm sure wires, your phone wires tapped, everything like that. I know you went through that because especially with what Public Enemy was talking about and what needed it was commentary. It needed to be said. And especially through the four class, you know, the first four classic albums really accentuated that, of course. And even, you know, later on, of course, but mm-hmm. those four albums really put you guys out there as legends, you know. So mm-hmm. well, if it wasn't going stories, to, you know? if it wasn't going around the world, if it wasn't for going around the world, the second album, I don't think those four albums would have existed in the same uh scope. Mm-hmm. Being able to travel around the world at the end of our first world, our first year really opened us up. To be able to go to London in November made me see that, you know, yeah, okay. <laughs> this is something. And they know the lyrics and they scream out the lyrics, you know? <laughs> yeah, and it wasn't just for the fan. It made me see the, that, that you got to get out of the USA to really seriously walk around with your head on your shoulders. Because your head get knocked off, gets knocked off in the United States if you think that this, is, this place is supposed to protect and keep you sane, especially right now. And I, and I recognized that 35 years ago. If I wasn't able to leave the USA, I don't think those four records would have been able, they would have had the breadth and the scope that they had, that they had. because it's not based on just what you see, but also who you're talking to. And when you go to a place, having a real conversation with a real person, as opposed to saying, well, I read about this place. And then I heard that you know, it's like my dad was born in Harlem in 1938. Wow. So when I had conversations with him about Harlem in the 50s, I could come to him with a book. <laughs> <laughs> so we could look at the book and say, yeah, I don't know about that. That wasn't true. You know, so you got to have con- real conversation with real folk before they go. I can't have those conversations with my dad 
uh, now he's been past four years. Mm-hmm. But when we, when he was alive, and I'm asking these actual, I'm going, I'm going to go on his word of what he experienced. Mm-hmm. So the pass down and, and all that stuff is necessary. And I think the amount of people, places I visited, and I don't, I don't even talk about things. People and places add the breadth to your conversation when you have real talk with people. Because right. I talked to this person. I had conversation with Kwame Turi in a room, me and him. Mm-hmm. So that sits in me. I sit with uh, Harry Belafonte. Yes. Betty Shabazz. I have real conversations with these people, right? They sit with me. So if I hear somebody, you know, yapping off of based on something that they might have read on online, I'm like, because I experienced these people in conversation, mm-hmm. I'm not disregarding what they're saying, but I'm looking at it a little different. I got a little bit of a side eye at it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Huey Newton used to call me in the middle of the night, man. Right, the year the year he was assassinated, wow. he called me in the middle of the night, man. So, the amount of people that I've met and had conversations with are like this. I've talked to pre- I've never met President Obama or Michelle Obama. Wow, so, really? I never met them, but but you know, I mean, I knew that I knew that they were always watched. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I've always been a rebel at the certain protocol of the USA. So why would they meet with me and get ripped apart by a whole bunch of haters? Good point. Yep. So why would I go? Why would I? I mean, they caught heat from from just having common meet them. Not no Chuck D. Not as much stuff he's been talking. Thank you all for listening to the 17th edition of Where They At. That was part one of my interview with Chuck D. And I thank him so much for joining me. And there will be more that we discussed in part two about public enemies, some of the adversity. Also, we're going to get into some NBA basketball for sure. We're going to talk about the Knicks, of course, because we're both huge Knicks fans. And Chuck is even more of a Knicks fan than I am, as well as his viewpoints on hip hop today and some of the artists and producers that have been essential to the art form over the past couple of decades. And if you like the music that you're listening to, please go to N-A-B-A-T-E-I-S-L-E-S.com. That's nabateisles.com. And it features my album, Eclectic Excursions, which, as you hear, one of the tracks from Eclectic Excursions called For the End. If you want to hear that album, definitely go on my website, as well as you can go on Amazon, you can go on Apple Music, you can go on Tidal, Spotify, Google Play, et cetera, et cetera. And please make sure that you subscribe and or follow where they at. So you can be able to to be aware and be updated on future episodes. And you can check out past episodes as well, as there have been 16 other episodes from this podcast where you can hear so many great insights and reflections by the legendary sports figures from different sports. So definitely check it out. You can subscribe, follow, and also rate as well. And I thank you all for listening. Be back with part two with Mr. Chuck D next time on Where They At. Thank you all. Be safe, be healthy, be blessed, and stay home as the storm of COVID-19 shall pass. Take care, everybody. God bless. Bye-bye.